Welcome back to the Gospel Baptist Church podcast, where we focus on the Bible and God's plan for our lives. Though this day in history is filled with pain and confusion, the Bible offers the hope and instruction we all need. So let's dive into today's message and hear how God's Word has the answers for today. All right, so as we get into our, our third message of this series, is living a life of faith easy? I would say absolutely not. <laughs> Living a life of faith is difficult. It can be difficult. One of the reasons why is because it seems like it's against the grain. You know, it's like a salmon trying to jump up the river. It just seems like it's backwards. Whereas the rest of the world is going one way, and God has called us to live differently and go the exact opposite way. And sometimes it, 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 it can be discouraging. Sometimes it can be difficult. Sometimes it can, you, you, as you're getting battered and, and, and um, struggling throughout the week as the world kind of uh, squeezes us sometimes, it's easy to wonder, God, is it even worth it? Is it worth living a life of faith? Even though it is difficult, it is far more rewarding than living a life without God. No matter what storm that you have throughout your life, no matter what difficulty comes into your lives, the great thing is that we have God. Whereas those who do not have God, they have only themselves. And that's difficult. Very difficult. I mean, Scripture actually says life is difficult. Uh, Job 14.1 said, Man that is born of a woman is a few days... And full of trouble. Isn't that the case? We don't have a a whole lot of years. The average lifespan is between 70 to 80 years. That's it. Now we don't oftentimes think of the years. Because they just fly by. But in the scope of history. 70 years is just a drop in the bucket. It really is. But throughout those 70 years. There's a lot of trouble in it. Not that necessarily that we cause or what, what comes in our life, but just life in general. Things happen that are beyond our control. Things that affect our lives because of decisions other people make. And so it brings trouble in our life. And, that's, and it was the same back in Job's day. It's the same in our day today. But even though we have difficulties in life, our lives are easier with God than without Him. See, God enables us and gives us the strength to get through these trials. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we learned about the seeing faith of the blind man. He believed that whoever healed him was of God. But when he saw Jesus in person and knew who it was, he believed instantly. There was no doubt in his mind. He already, in his mind and heart of hearts, when when God healed him of of his blindness... He knew it had never been done before. And he knew that it must have been somebody special that did it. He didn't know who he was. But when Jesus finally confronted him and, and came to him after he had been uh, excommunicated, so to speak, out of the, out, out of, uh, the, by the church, by the, the Pharisees, wondering what in the world is he going to do now? Jesus came and revealed himself to him. And instantly that man believed. Uh, We learned about the serving faith with Naaman's servants. 
We saw that their faith and their service to God made an impact upon a heathen general who took a great risk going to an enemy and opposing God for healing. Think about it. A heathen enemy general coming and submitting himself under the authority of the word of God in order to be healed. It's unheard of. Unheard of. But sometimes the trial of our faith will be so huge that it will turn our world upside down. Sometimes things happen in our life where it just takes our life that we know about it and just completely changes it. You know, I think of some of the Ukrainians that are going right now, having to leave home because of, because of the war. Their life that they knew that they were accustomed to, it's not there anymore. It's gone. You know, maybe some of you have, have had to, to do something similar where you've came to, to Ireland to, to, um, to find a better life, safety, something better for your family and your children. And, and honestly, that step of faith completely changed your thought of your life that you had maybe as a young person growing up. Things like that happen in our lives. But this morning, we're going to look at the faith of a woman who is very often overlooked. She's mostly in the shadows compared to her husband. Usually, as you've probably heard many, many different uh, messages and, and sermons about her husband. But very often, we have, I have never heard, me personally, I have never heard a message preached about this woman that we're going to look at. Today, we're going to learn about the sacrificial faith of Noah's wife. The sacrificial faith of Noah's wife. You know, it's really hard to find good pictures sometimes on the internet. <laughs> it really is. Uh, most of the time, if you ever see Noah in the ark and you see Noah's wife, they're old. I mean, they're like, you know, 90 years looking, you know, and you think, how in the world did that guy build the ark? <laughs> but think about it. Noah, yes, he was, and he was 500 years old when God called him to build the ark. Now we think 500 years old, man, that's old. <laughs> But in those days, that was middle age. That was middle age. So in a sense, imagine maybe he would be about 50. That kind of a, an idea. You know, 50, I, I don't think he'd be as high as 60. But I would say probably physical-wise, energy, that kind of stuff, I'd say he'd probably be between 40 and 50. And, um, I mean, he did, leave after the ark, after, you know, the, the flood and all that kind of stuff, he did live another 350 years. His life was 950 years old. And, uh, and so, you know, when, when God called him to build the ark, he was only in the middle of his life. So he wasn't this old, you know, really old man walking on a stick, you know, like a crippled old man that a lot of the pictures represent. And neither was his wife. Now, we don't know. Again, we hardly have any information about his wife. We don't know how old she was. Uh, we don't know much about her other than the fact that she was there. That she was there. 
And, um, and so this morning, I want to highlight this woman. I want to look at the life of this woman. And I think that we can glean some important things from her life. Uh, let's jump into our Bibles this morning. We're going to stay pretty much in, uh, in the book of Genesis. But look at Genesis chapter 6. This is where we're going to start off with. And we're going to look at the coming judgment. Now, this portion of Scripture is very familiar. We've probably all heard about Noah and the ark. We've probably all heard about, you know, um, we could probably tell the story with our eyes closed to a degree. And oftentimes when we are so familiar with a portion of Scripture, we just glean right over it. And we don't actually stop and say, God, what can I learn from this portion of Scripture? Why are you giving this for me to be able to read? What out of this, uh, of this event in history do you want me to learn from? And so this morning I want to take it at an angle that I have never heard a message from. And I hope will be a help to you this morning. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. It says here, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. So we see here that first of all, sin breaks the heart of God. It truly grieves him when we do not obey him or want to have fellowship with him. I mean, those of you who have children, especially when they're younger and you ask them to do something and they don't do it. It grieves your heart, doesn't it? Because you, you want them to obey. You want them to do what you say. You don't want to have to tell them 10 times to get them to do something. You want them to obey. Well, they're little sinners just like you and us. And they have a free will just like you and I do. And sometimes they express that free will a bit defiantly, don't they? Well, that's what these people were doing. God gave them a free will. But rather than listening and obeying to what God wanted for their lives, they said, no, I'm going to do it my way and my way only. And so as they chose that life of sin, it grieved God's heart that no one wanted to have fellowship with him. And sadly, the human heart is so wicked. Since the day that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it only took 1,656 years to create a world so completely violent and corrupt. Think about that. Less than 2,000 years. It's been less than 2,000 years since Christ, or there's more than 2,000 years since Christ was crucified. So it was less time than that for the world to become so corrupt and violent. The Bible says the thoughts of the heart of men were only evil continually. All they sought to was, was to hurt and to, to do wicked things. There was very little purity remaining. Insomuch that it grieved God so much that he wished that he had never even made man. Now, 
Did God know that this was a possibility, that man could do this? Absolutely. Now, we're going to learn in the coming weeks about the omnisciency of God, the all-knowingness. God is outside of time. He knows every single decision, every single path that our lives can take. And he knew this was going to be a possibility. But their sin had grieved him so much, made it to the point where he just wished he, didn't, he had not made man at all. And that is so sad. And God, who is very long-suffering, had enough. Man had corrupted the world to the point in which God was going to be finished with mankind. And he decided that the way that he would fix the earth is by destroying everything upon it with a worldwide flood. Now, we know the story. We see Next here, we see the calling of Noah. We see the, 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 the coming judgment. We know this is going to be severe. This is going to be bad. This is beyond bad. But thankfully, there's a verse 8 in our Bibles where it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. This is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, and the breadth of it fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. Behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every uh, creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come into thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. So though the rest of the world was corrupt and living to their heart's extent with no limitations, Noah would not go down that path. Uh, scripture reveals that, God, that Noah had a different heart. He actually was someone who walked with God. Uh, he, it was actually God said that he was perfect in his generations. Was Noah a perfect person? Absolutely not. He was a sinner just like you and I. But compared to the world, he lived perfect. The way that his life was, is, was, was almost perfect compared to the world. And how evil the world had become. 
Now, God gave him specific instructions on how to build the ark. I mean, we look at that, we think, why do I need to know how big the ark is? Why do I need to know that's three stories? Why do I need to know it has one door? Why, you know, and we look at that, it's very easy to say, well, I don't need to know those details. It's just, it's just irrelevant. The neat thing is, is that even today, the proportion in which the ark was built, ships are built to that same proportion nowadays. It's really amazing as you look into it. Um, and, and you look here, God didn't just tell Noah, build a giant boat and figure it out. <laughs> he didn't do that. He told Noah, this is specifically how I want you to do it. I want you to build it this long, this high, this wide. I want you to cover it in pitch. This is how I want you to build it. Now, was Noah a shipbuilder? No, he was not. And so the task was a huge, huge task. But God gave Noah an option. He allowed Noah to decide what to do. Meaning, Noah could have refused and he could have never built the ark. He had that option. I mean, think about it. You know, here he's being told to build this massive thing. If you, if you can really uh, visualize it, how big this thing is. I mean, this is a task that is, seems impossible. It really does. I mean, we can't really understand the scope of it, really even just with, with the verses that we see here. But I don't know if, if you've ever seen the, the Ark Encounter in, the, in the America right now that they built. Um, they built it while we were here in Ireland. And while we were back... Uh, we had the privilege of being able to go to it twice. Um, and you see this thing and you walk up to it. And I mean, it just takes your breath away just how huge it actually was. It wasn't just a little boat. This thing was massive. And the job to do that to Noah probably seemed impossible. No wonder it took him so long to build it. You know, and even he probably even had help building it with, uh, you know, hired help and things like that of that nature. But this was something that seemed impossible. And God gave Noah the option to do it or not. He didn't force me. He said, Noah, I want you to do this. I'm I'm forcing you to do this. He didn't twist Noah's arm and say, Noah, this is what you're going to do. He gave Noah the option. He said, this is what is going to happen. This is how... You can save your family and you can save those that you love. What are you going to do? Thankfully, Noah chose that option of building the ark. Otherwise, you and I probably wouldn't be here today. So here we see more about Noah. And we see that Noah believed God. Noah believed God and he obeyed and he did it exactly as God wanted. And he never looked back. You know, we don't see anything in, in Scripture where he gave up. Said, oh, this is just, this is impossible. I'm not going to do it. No, for over a hundred years, he faithfully, day in and day out, plotted on. Plotted on. As the ship came to, came together. And Noah built the ark exactly as God told him to do. He did not build it too small. He didn't build it 
with another 50 cubits on, just, just in case, you know. But he built it the exact specification that God wanted him to do. You know, he didn't build it without pitch. There were specific reasons why God gave him those dimensions and the instructions that he had. If he said, I'm not going to waste my time with putting pitch on this thing. Why in the world would I have to do that? It's sticky. It's ucky. I just don't want to do it. Well, that pitch was a sealant. And so it was going to be keeping all the water out of the boat. And so it was necessary, even though it seemed like something so insignificant. God had him and gave him specific instructions. And Noah did it to the exactly as he was told. But who did God specifically call to build the ark? It was Noah, wasn't it? It was Noah. God didn't tell Noah and his wife and his sons to do this great task. And as, but as Noah, sorry, God calling Noah turned their whole world upside down. At this time in Noah's life, when Noah was given this call, Noah had his wife and he had at least two children at this time. And so he had a young family. He had a family already. And so this call turned the family and Noah's family upside down. But what about his wife and children? What about his, his family? What did they do? They did what they were called to do. Be a wife and be children. God didn't expect Noah's wife or his children to build the ark. That wasn't God's expectation. When he gave a task to be done, it was just to Noah. But as Noah built the ark and as years passed on, did they help in various ways? Most likely. Most likely. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what they did. They didn't tell, you know, if, if Noah's wife, you know, was, was faithfully serving meals to, to whoever came or we don't know. You know, God doesn't record those details. But we do know that she was faithfully beside her husband every step of the way. Noah's wife was faithful to her husband even though his task seemed to be the task of a madman. Think about it. That's what the world probably thought. Noah, you're building a boat in a field? No water around? You're building it how big? Seriously? Where are you going to get all the wood from? Is it just going to magically appear? Where's the wood going to be coming from? How are the animals going to get here? Are we going to have to go on a, a, a wild game hunt to try to hunt down all these animals and bring them here? Are we going to have to do all that? And I'm sure Noah just said, look, I don't know all the details. All I know is that God said, Noah, build the ark, and I'm going to do it. And we'll work out the details as they come. But think about it. Her husband was given this, this task that seemed, first of all, impossible. But secondly, the task of someone who might have been a little bit crazy. It would have been easy just to kind of discard no and say, uh, whatever, honey, you know, yeah, just whatever. And just completely discard them. But she didn't do that. I mean, imagine being in her shoes 
when Noah told her what God asked him to do. I mean, think about it. But she didn't give up on her husband. What convinced her that Noah wasn't just a crazy old man, a crazy man? What was it about him that she believed in him? That she went along with it? That she helped him in a sense? I believe it's because she had seen Noah's walk with God and his life. I don't think that it was strange for her that God spoke to him about the ark. Again, we see here that, God, that Noah already had a walk with God. You know, I've seen a couple of movies when, I, when I, I first got saved. And I think it was like basically about Genesis. I think that might have been the name of the movie. And in the movie, you know, Noah's just kind of, you know, kind of filling around. And all of a sudden you hear, Noah, Noah. And he's like, look around like, what in the world? Who's, who's calling me? What, what? You know, <laughs> as this, this mystery, mysterious voice is coming out of somewhere, you know, to talk to him. You know, like it was a, a strange, weird thing happening. And I think that's what a lot of the world thinks. That Noah was just doing about his own business. And all of a sudden God speaks and says, Noah. And he's, don't know, you know, it's the first time he's heard about it. So he's kind of like wondering what in the world's going on. I don't think that was the case with Noah. I think when God spoke to Noah, it was during a time that he was walking with him. That he was communicating with him already. Talking with him. Sharing his heart. I'm sure Noah, you know, would oftentimes go and pray and say, God, this world is wicked. I see no hope in this place. I mean, what are my children going to have to be raised with in this? What are you going to do about this? And I'm sure he poured out his heart to God year after year after year as he walked with, with God. And then as God communed with him and, so, and revealed to Noah and said, Noah, this is what I'm going to do. I don't think it was so unusual, so strange to Noah. I think that's what motivated him to trust God and obey. Because it wasn't a, 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 an unusual thing for, for God to speak to him. When God spoke to him, he said, okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll do it. He already had a walk with God before this point. And when he told his wife, she already knew that he had a walk with God. And I think in her heart, even though it, was, it seemed probably a, an unusual thing, I think in her heart she said, okay, honey, if that's what God wants you to do, I'm behind you. I'm going to support you. No matter what happens, we're with you. We're going we're gonna to be there to help you in whatever way that we can. I believe that she was a faithful woman to her husband in every way imaginable. The Bible records very little about her, but the fact that she stayed with her husband, that she didn't abandon him, with this crazy idea, she didn't just say, sorry, not interested. It's not what my life was supposed to be about. I don't, I, I don't want to have the stigma of your crazy dream. 
I'm out of here. She didn't say that. The fact that she stayed with her husband and that her children, and not only her children, but her actual, her children's wives stayed with her and Noah throughout the whole event, I think speaks volumes. The fact that her daughters-in-law stayed with them. I think she was a great impact upon them because I think they watched her faithfulness to God, to her husband and her family. I think that was a great motivator for them. To, they see this woman who is just trying to, to, to live a life of faith to help her husband in however way that, that he could uh, be helped and as they served the Lord together, her daughters and all watched that. You know, God calls wives their husband's helpmeet. They're not their slaves. They're not their servants. Her first responsibility was to care for her husband, to help him with whatever task that she could do for him. And since they had a young family, when this task was given, she had her hands full around the house with the children. I can imagine it. Uh, Shem was born after God spoke to Noah. So after he started building, you know, started to, to work on this thing, Shem came along. You know, now, you know, he's got another, another child to, to, care, to care for. See, Noah's wife did what she could. Yeah. Noah's wife did uh, what she could to, to, to be the wife that Noah needed and the mother that her children needed. She wasn't given the task of building the ark, but God knew Noah needed a good support system to help him stay encouraged while the process happened. Think about it. It took at least 100 years for this thing to be built. Noah needs someone that he could come home to and talk about his discouragement with. When no one, it seemed like no one was listening to his warnings and instead mocking him. Think about it. You know how the world is. You've probably experienced some of it. When people know that you're a, oh, you're a born-again Christian? What is that? Or they, they oh, you're, you're religious? Oh. You know, and they mock you. Think about how they mocked Noah. Think about how they mocked his children. Children are, are can be pretty nasty to each other. Just it's just their nature. It's it's a sinful nature in them. Can you imagine? They, they probably walked up to the ark and and they just were making fun of Noah. And he tried to to, teach, to preach to him and try to be a witness to him that and to warn them. I think it was in Noah's heart to warn and to try to reach people, but no one listened. You know, Noah's wife had to also endure the comments from the other women about her husband. Think about this. She had to endure the whispering, the looks, the name calling. She endured all that too. You know, when she ever maybe went to the, to, to the local village and Maybe to the market there or had to go maybe to a well or something like that. And, you know, the other women are whispering and say, oh, here comes Noah's wife. Look, look, she's the crazy man's wife. You know, he's building a big boat. 
He said it's gonna it's gonna flood. That's not gonna happen. Oh, she's so silly. I mean, who knows what they said? Obviously, probably some things that weren't as nice as that. She endured it too. She endured it as well. But sadly, one day the catastrophe nears. Look at chapter 7, verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are uh, not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean beasts, of beasts that are not clean, and of the fowls, and of everything that creepeth upon the earth, there went in two and two unto Noah and the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. It came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. As the ark neared completion, and as it was completed and ready to go, God warned Noah that in seven days it would rain from the heavens. Now he gives him a little bit of a timetable. Look, in seven days, this is now going to start. It's going to start raining. Rain? What is that? Up until this point, it had never rained before. And so as God told Noah, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm sure, knowing that he only had a few days left, I am certain that they went to all their family members one last time to plead with them to get into the ark. Think about it. If you knew you had seven days, knowing that you had seven days to see your family get saved, to see your friends get saved, to see your neighbors get saved, what would you do? You'd be trying to tell them as many people as you could, wouldn't you? I think in that seven days, they went to everybody that they loved, everybody that was close to them and said, Look, this is what's going to happen. You have seven days. That's it. And it's going to rain from the sky. And you're going to, everyone's going to die. Unless you get into the ark. Sadly, no one listened. No one listened. No one listened to, to any of them. No one listened to the warnings. So Noah and his family with a heavy heart, went into the ark. And they waited upon the Lord to fulfill his word. Now, they didn't know when it was going to start raining. They just knew that on that seventh day, it was going to happen. See, God in his mercy left the door open 
for seven days so that anybody could enter into the ark. But nobody did. No one did. And as Noah waited and trusted God within the ark, suddenly without warning, the door closed and the world was now going to experience the wrath of God. You see the cost of her faith. Look at verse number 12. Verse number 12 of chapter 7. The rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife and the three wives of the sons with him into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of, of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, and, the two, uh, and two of all flesh, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life and of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive. And they that were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. God sealed the door so that Noah and his family would be saved. The Bible says the Lord shut them in. He sealed the door. It also showed that no one else could get in. God had given them their chances. And yet, people still refused. Imagine hearing the animals. You know, it's probably noisy all around them. And then, them quieting as they all begin to hear something new. The sound of rain hitting the ark all around them. As the water began to pour down from the sky, their friends and their relatives that lived nearby probably ran to the ark as soon as they realized that Noah hadn't been a fool all this time. I'm sure people probably began pounding on the door, begging to be let in. Noah, open the door. We believe you now. You are right. Open the door, Noah, please. Let us in. Let us in, Noah. We believe. We believe. You are right. Sadly, it was too late. God had shut the door. The time that they had to have mercy and grace was over. Now was the time of wrath. Now was the time that they would pay for their sin. They missed their chance 
to be saved. Noah's wife lost. Think about it. She lost her entire family besides her children and her husband. She knew the cost that trusting God for salvation alone would come with great sacrifice. It took just as much faith as Noah had to step into that ark and to follow her husband. Think about it. When her husband entered into that ark, she had to believe that he was right. She had to believe. took her as much faith to step in that ark and in a sense to say goodbye to her family to get in that ark. The same for her children and their wives. Their children were old. They're they're, they're of age. They weren't just little kids. You know, where daddy says, okay, come on, get in the car. It's time to go. They weren't little kids anymore. They were adults. They had their own family. And yet they watched their father, they watched their mother, they watched their faith, and said, we're going to believe. And they got in. They stepped into that ark. <clears throat> Think of his, of uh, the daughters-in-law. All of their family died. Yet they trusted Noah's wife. They trusted in the God of Noah that he was going to do as he said. It took a huge step of faith. Think about it. Put yourself in their shoes. Would you have gotten in the ark? See, we can look back and say, of course I would have. Would you have? If someone were to tell you, look, God said he's going to destroy the world unless you, get in, unless you obey him and get into this ark. Noah didn't force his wife to come with him. Each one of them had to make the choice themselves to enter the ark. And they all entered in faith. Not just Noah, but they all took that step of faith. I just want to watch a short video here. It normally has sound, but our projector can't give sound. But think about this. Just watch and just think. Imagine yourself in their place, in this ark. This is a video that was produced by Answers in Genesis, who has the the ark encounter in the Creation Museum in the States. Now, we don't know exactly all that happened. We just know that the deep was broken up and that rain came. But it was such a disastrous event that it destroyed the world. Destroyed everything. Everything imaginable. And it was fast. Because people didn't have time to build boats. Didn't have time. It came fast. It came suddenly. They didn't have a chance to prepare, so to speak. Their only chance was, was getting in that ark. And they didn't. That was the sacrifice 
that the faith of Noah's wife displayed. Look at the comfort of the Lord, Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters of Sars. Now, God wasn't just saying, oh, whoops, I forgot about Noah. No, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is God remembered. He, he, he knew what they were going through. The loss that they endured. I believe God gave Noah and his family supernatural comfort and grace those first hours. Think about it. Everyone inside had lost everyone they loved. Especially Noah's wife and her daughters-in-law. Can you imagine the heartache that they went through knowing their family would all be gone by the end of the day? God had to comfort them and help them to endure that sorrow. God had to step in. There's no way that we could, there's no way that we could handle something like that. God had to comfort us, comfort them. Matthew 5, 4 said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, your faith in God may also end up costing you your family and your relationships with others. Some of you in this, this here may have already felt that loss and separation because you chose to stand up for what you believe to be true and followed salvation and the Bible's teachings. Some of you have, have given up your family. Some of you have given up your friends. You paid a, good, a, a high sacrifice because you chose to believe God rather than what the world around says. Matthew 5.11 said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. I mean, who knows? (laughs) Maybe some of you guys experienced that on Thursday. People may refuse to take a track. Luke 21.17 says, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Matthew 19, 29 said, Everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. God knows and he knew that there would be a cost for us to follow Christ. There'd be a cost. And it's during these times that God gives grace and comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 5 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comfort us in all of our tribulations, or tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounded by Christ. Things that we sacrifice in a sense for our faith. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Because there's going to be others that are going to face similar situations. And we can also comfort them because God had comforted us. John 14, 16 through 18 says, Now pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. 
because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I'm thankful that he didn't just leave and just kind of leave us all by ourselves when Jesus went up to heaven. I'm so glad that he gave us the comforter, the Holy Spirit. God of all comfort dwells within you. If you're a born-again Christian this morning. So no matter what situation that you go through in your life, God can comfort you if you let him. If you allow him. And when you stand for the Lord, he will give you the grace and strength to go through whatever will happen. So as we finish this morning, we saw that our sin affects the heart of God. It grieves Him greatly and we can even quench the Holy Spirit inside of us if we're born again. You know, this whole situation, this whole event in Scripture, this is what the world thinks it is. Just a happy-go-lucky picture. All of our children's books, this is, this is what we teach. Now, I understand in some part, it's kind of hard to teach kids that. <laughs> I understand that. I, I, I do. But when kids grow up, this is all they know. It's almost like a fairy tale. And so when they read about this portion of Scripture in the Bible, to them, all they remember is the fairy tale. And, and it's nice and painted picture, and oh, everyone's all smiling, and not realizing that this was a very tragic event. This, this event was the most tragic event in history. This is what sin will do when it has full reign. All that sin does is destroy and corrupt and mankind had to pay the price for it at that time. And sin has continued to reign and it still destroys, it still corrupts and it kills all that it touches. But instead of mankind having to pay the price, Jesus Christ paid the price of our sin on the cross of Calvary. So that we wouldn't have to pay it. Your sin has already been paid for by Jesus Christ. But if you have never been born again and repented of your sin and turned your heart to Christ, you are still being held accountable for your sin. The exchange of payment has not been applied onto your account until you make that decision to trust Christ as your Savior. God gave everyone seven days to get into the ark. And only Noah, his family, and the animals did. Then God sealed the door, and no one could open it again until that judgment had passed. You know, we don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back. We know it's getting closer. We can look at the world today and say, it's getting pretty dark. It's getting pretty rough. It's getting pretty wicked out there. We can see the signs of the times, so to speak. We have no idea when he can come back. He can come back today. Come back tomorrow. Could be 30 years from now. We don't know. What we do know is that we have to be ready. We have to be ready. Noah didn't know what time on that seventh day that the rains would come. He just knew that he had to get in the ark before that, before the seventh day, before that day happened. Are you ready? Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for the rapture? God could, could call us home any day, any hour. 
Would you go? Would you be caught up in the rapture? Or are you still in your sin today? Have you never trusted Christ as your Savior? No matter the situation that we go through, God will give us the grace to go through it. And He'll give us the comfort to go through it as well. I read an interesting thought that someone put on there, uh, put on, a, on the internet the other day. When Moses stood at the Red Sea, he didn't make the Red Sea disappear. He parted and enabled the children of Israel to go through it. Not, he didn't, and what happened to the Red Sea afterwards? It came back and still in existence. So God doesn't remove the obstacles. Instead, He helps us to go through the storms. Sometimes we say, God, why don't you take the situation away? Why can't you just take it away? Because God is saying, I want to help you through this. I want to enable you. I want to give you strength. I want you to learn how to depend upon me. I want to build your faith in me that I can take care of you through this situation. That's why he allows us to go through situations that sometimes we don't understand. Because he is with us every step of the way. Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer and we'll be finished. Thank you for listening to today's message on the Gospel Baptist Church podcast. To view this and similar messages as a video or for more information about Gospel Baptist Church, head over to lukeandchurch.com. That's lukeandchurch.com. Thank you again and God bless.